Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. anything that you think you you got at the right time and you think will actually be worth anything in the future Ooh, that's like in like anything like you know i feel like there are certain things that i used to see in thrift stores even that right like before they had their moment and were like cool i could have you know scooped up some of those and you mm. know it it, it could have th- that i i would have had something that would have actually appreciated in value versus you know i <laughs> buy things i try to buy sustainably when i can or thrift or whatever right but for the most part things i buy i feel like depreciate in value um so, i see you know i don't even even though i have I try to have decent musical instruments. I play them. I don't use them as collector's items. So I have probably devalued my own collection by using it. Interesting. Yeah, I'm right there with you. My my musical instrument collection is definitely devalued. Maybe not my synths, but they're not old enough. So Mm -hmm, I guess mm -hmm. they're out of they're not in like stock because they're not making them as much. So mm-hmm. I guess I, yeah. I think you're, you know, I thought about this with clothes because I had a pair of pants that I bought at a, a Kohl's of all places that were like mm-hmm. basically these like dress pants that were flared almost at the bottom, not crazy seventies, oh. but yeah. like, like kind of like a more like dark, uh, ac- what is it it's a gothic academia or whatever it's called or dark academia (laughs) like that style and i'm not really crazy about wide pants even though i know that's the big trend right now and i do have some Mm -hmm. jeans that i think fit that category but i bought them a while ago and they were really cheap because they were on clearance and i i got them and i think i tried rocking them and i wasn't crazy about like the baggy Mm -hmm. they're they're not even baggy but they're wide i guess i guarantee I guarantee I could have sold those for a lot now because that's in style and because it's totally out of like, it's in the style now, but you will never find them in a store now. Do you know what I mean? It's out of circulation. Right. I feel like that in terms of like capitalizing on a, uh, as a, on a style and on a way of making money from something that I Mm -hmm. bought Mm -hmm. probably is the best example I can think of, but I feel Mm -hmm. like everything else I own was already like, destroyed so i i think it's right. only valuable to me like all my books i don't know if i could sell like maybe i you know what i was thinking about i was thinking about the old copy of dune that i have maybe that's worth something uh, now yes, that yes, might yes. be that, worth something. that was that was a smart investment yeah my one dollar that i spent to buy mm-hmm. uh, a paperback version of frank herbert's dune that i then bought a hardcover of to read instead <laughs> 10 years later but uh it's uh yeah because I'm someone that likes to collect things, but 
I also, you know, have an understanding uh, that I want to use those things, you know, right, right. I, I don't think I want, ex- except for very specific things are not meant to just be display items. And even, I almost feel like it's a disservice to some things to not use them and to not like, Agreed. uh, you know, let, let them be used for the purposes they were made for. I think that's totally. one of, that is one of the things that fills me with like at least a little bit of melancholy when I go into any museum exhibit is, you know, items that are just for the sake of their own preservation cannot be used, you know, even if it was, you know, for something that was, even if it's a tool, if it's a tool that's meant to be held in someone's hand and it just cannot be, there's, but you also like are trying to protect the, value that has to academia and to history sure uh by doing so you know because condition condition on the one hand is very important but also there's marks of use that are also desirable to things things that are broken in right right Mm -hmm. Hmm. and then there's like value to me that i think kind of boggles my mind as well just in terms of equivalency do you run into that um like what do you mean like think about think about like uh any anything handmade that you could buy uh whether it be like a bowl or like you're at a crafts fair you know and Uh if there's like decent stuff you're like oh wow i could get a completely hand-knitted scarf or uh some hand-thrown pottery some handmade silverware right you know you look at you go over to the one side of the fair you see the hipster in suspenders with a beard you know hammering away at his anvil making the knives you know Mm. and you're like wow i could have this beautiful hand-forged pocket knife or kitchen knife this this very simple tool made out of other tools and someone else's time. Right. And it costs, you know, maybe between, you know, 50 and a hundred dollars, depending mm. on the, the quality of stuff. Sure. But like 50 or a hundred dollars, you think about the other things that that could buy. Oh, you. That, I see. I see. Yeah. You know, cause like a, a knife is, a knife is one thing, and I understand it's important to have a quality one. Sure, absolutely. But it's also a very, very simple tool. Think about the things that are so complex that you are actually incapable of building on your own that you could get for like $100. Yeah. We yeah. don't think about them in the same terms because we consider it kind of cheap technology. Like, think about buying a printer. Okay. You know? Yeah. I could never build an inkjet printer i yeah you know especially not on my own um just the amount of technology and material but they're cheap enough to buy new and you can buy them used for next to nothing yeah yeah literally that's but but the, the, the complexity of them is such that they they really are only profitable to build and sell the one time right yeah like does does that does that ever like you think about like you look at something something handmade that's you know a hundred dollars and you like 
it can be very small even you know yeah. Yeah, yeah you can look at look at like a ring that was like handmade and you know it's like five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars maybe more depending on again right. the stones and the material you're looking at that this little tiny object that can fit in the palm of your hand and then you you're holding it in your hand it's you know worth a thousand dollars and think about just the mass of food that you could buy in equivalent yeah to, to that yeah. ring that is sitting in your hand that little itty bitty thing right right and that that always trips me up that tripped me <laughs> up when i worked in a jewelry yeah. store that would trip me up when i worked in a in a high-end watch store and yeah. still to some extent now working in uh, higher end stationery mm-hmm. um it's j- just sometimes the mass enough uh-huh. and the complexity of things you know what what we put value on for certain things versus others and not to say that those people and their crafts should not be compensated i absolutely am not saying that Right, but right. Do, do you kind of do you kind of get what what's yeah. perplexing me? Oh bit? no, yeah, yeah. I think you put it really well as an example mm-hmm. too. I mean, listen, my my hobby of late is in synthesizers, and that's when you start looking at three hundred plus dollars in order to afford one piece of something. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like the value jumps kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Where I'll be like. Huh, I can get this piece for $100, but oh, if I get that one, it's, it does an extra function and it's $200, and then that's even mm-hmm. more. And then eventually you start to lose the concept of how much that's worth, because once you realize, yeah. you're like, oh, I can buy um X amount of this, or I can buy, you oh, know, yeah, an entire no. year's worth of food in certain cases, or, you know, it's like crazy how much I that mean, can it, be. It's, it's insane like that with guitar pedals, too. Oh my God, um, yeah. And guitar nuts. amplifiers, you know, you yeah. think about like, there's there's guitars, amps, and effects. Like especially like if you're into if you're into like Klon centaurs. Oh yeah. Uh, are, are you familiar at all with them? I've heard of it, but I'm not. I've never like seen one. So like a Klon centaur is this pedal that was made for a for a short period of time, became very popular and very desirable. But especially in the last couple of years, its value has skyrocketed. Ah, uh, gotcha to like the point where it's not even just like you know the neat thing in your collection it's like this is uh you know you're getting into the five and seven thousand dollar range for a effect that is easily clonable right right um you know you can get an electro harmonics clone of a clon (laughs) <laughs> right right i actually i actually have one and like oh, on nice. the used on the used market those things are less than 100 wow but for the prestige of having one you could spend what some people don't even make in a month on yeah. this guitar pedal that's insane that's actually kind of yeah. crazy yeah, yeah. I, and i think like that I mean, listen, if you have Chase Bliss pedals, too, you can make money oh. off them. If you have tape machines, I, I, you can make money off them. Yeah, and do not yeah. sell that. It's such a good pedal. Yeah, no, no, no. I, the, the only bummer is I think I got... I, I love my Chase Bliss. I have a mood. Yes. I oh. think I got the... I think the only reason I was able to get my hands on it was that it is the all-black one. Oh, uh, you don't have the pink one. Uh, I don't have the pink so one. That's so pretty. 
Yeah, no, it's it's pretty. The black one looks cool. The problem with it is I cannot read a goddamn thing on it. <laughs> and you know, for uh, if there's any pedal on earth that you want to be yeah. able to read the controls of, it's, the it's mood. a Chase Bliss. Yeah, it's so confusing and it does so many yeah. amazing things. Yeah. But I think I think all of this leads us into what we're talking about here yeah. today in the context. Well, yeah, because you did. I, I'm sure the people here think they stumbled into like uh, a, a live recording of "60 Cycle Hum," yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, or uh, <laughs> right, right. Th- this, this is this isn't um, you know gear talk. Uh, right, no, it, it often it often be. Yeah, it's not Antiques Roadshow yet, so yeah. we're not there yet. But uh, <laughs> it does become it comes guitar talk with Zan and Joe pretty frequently yes, yeah so what what are we what are we talking about since we're talking about value what what where are we today joe well we're standing outside of one of the ucm's uh bank vaults that we have mm. installed here at the museum to uh and it is an interactive mu- exhibit that we'll be entering shortly but i think we wanted to take this time today to talk about really this idea the idea of currency and an exhibit mm-hmm. on currency, but more specifically in the idea of value and where that comes from. So we're going to be looking at two medieval locations. We're keeping it in Western Europe for this specific exhibit, but although maybe we'll mm-hmm. be taking it uh, to different parts of the world eventually. Mm-hmm. But I think between Zan and I, we wanted to keep it more at home base just to be able to talk from that point of view. Um, yeah, this is this is a subject we've both kind of wanted to talk about for a while. It seems like a really good thing to open up our uh, fall exhibitions for this year yes, uh, yeah. at the UCM, especially, you know, here we are. Uh, we're into the second year. Year let's, two. Let's talk big. Let's jump in right in to uh, a big topic, which is currency. I mean, this is something that feels like it rules our lives, especially in a time of economic uncertainty, which yes, at absolutely. this point has kind of been for you and I, most of our, our lives. Yeah, pretty much mm-hmm. since I understood what a dollar value was and it was like, yeah. Oh, okay. I do, guess I'll always you, be stressed. Were you too young or were you vaguely aware of, the 2008 financial crisis i was aware i was aware of what it was i didn't understand it yeah but i mean your your family also has a a business that i'm sure would have felt the effects of that as well oh yeah no it was rough so yeah this is this has had this has had uh an effect on us for most of our lives i don't even think this is cheesy, but I don't think I totally understood the financial crash until I saw the big short. Honestly, yeah, same. Really good, mm-hmm. really good job. Honestly, that's a pretty good movie. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also, I think to me, growing up in Florida, I really witnessed that as a oh, child. Yeah. All of these subdivisions getting built very, very quickly. Uh, all of these people that you know, had these enormous McMansions and then suddenly the development of all of this stuff just stopped at a certain point. And I was just kind of old enough to understand something was happening. Neither of my parents were really in fields where that was affected. Or I, I mean, even my, uh, my, my stepdad later, you know, he's a, he's a, an undertaker so mm. uh <laughs> um <laughs> not really in the same yeah yeah i mean it's uh 
it, it wasn't it wasn't that that type of uh there was there right. were certainly impacts felt obviously sure sure because uh, you know my, my parents like like every one of their generation also has quite a bit uh of their money invested right yes and i'm i'm sure they felt the effects of that as well but probably just did not open up to me as much regarding that right um th- this is also while they're they're getting uh divorced so i'm sure they they wasted a small fortune on that as well mm, fair um, enough. but how did we get here how did we kind of get to the what seemingly uncontrollable numbers seemingly imaginary numbers that yeah affect our daily lives so much and it it feels like parents arguing. You're kind of helpless. You don't really understand what's going on. I'm bringing oh up a lot of baggage today. Um, but you're... Oh, no. You're, you're, you don't know what to do. It is that yeah. feeling of... It is, yeah. What do... What, what do I do? I can't really do anything. No one really seems like they have a solution to this. Right. I just want to go in my room. Yeah, it's a lot of noise, right? Yeah. Like it's a lot of con- and, and words that don't make sense. And I think that has always plagued um my idea of money. I think even like mm-hmm. you know, personally speaking, I was somebody that kept like money under the mattress, right? Mm. Before I understood how banks work. I I think and this is kind of what we're getting at where it was like mm-hmm. I could not understand how something didn't exist but you owned it. So like if I had yeah. cash in my hand, I have that. I can physically right. count how much money I own to my name, which was uh not a lot because I was 10. Right, but right. still, right? Like mm-hmm. I could physically count it out, but as soon as you put that in a bank, that doesn't exist anymore. It's a number on a screen mm-hmm. or it's a number on yeah, a paper yeah. and it's a different concept. And so I think we often forget how we got here. And today mm-hmm. we're interested in going back and exploring the in-between as well as a different off-branch of how value was assigned and goods could be purchased with different currencies that weren't yes. just coins. Yeah. I mean, I I have not had the satisfaction of buying something big with cash. I oh, it's so, it's so fun. <laughs> it feel, it feels so, so much less like buying things with my, my credit card. I would, <laughs> I would love to, I would love the experience of like buying something really nice in cash one day. I did that with guitar gear. <laughs> Was that your first big purchase? Probably. Yeah. Like one of them, I know I bought like different things yeah. with like, you know, cash, you go to the store. Yeah. yeah, probably my guitar was one of my first big purchases, and I probably bought the whole thing yeah. in cash. Because I didn't have a debit card, so... I, I think my first big purchase was a pair of rollerblades. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, That was, like, the thing that, like, I, I was saving up forever for. Oh. Yeah, it's, um... A lot of this, especially with the rhetoric now, you can kind of easily write off all of this as the follies of capitalism or whatever. Sure. But there's a little bit more to that. I, I don't think we're going to let capitalism as a concept off the hook here. But right. there are a lot of other interestingly more ancient um, uh, issues that come up with just a, a human association of value uh-huh. and just kind of a need for 
a need that uh, money facilitates and just sort of seems to keep coming up again yeah. and again across different cultures. Clearly, there is a need for this. Right, right. And and a desire to have it, even with sort of the trouble that uh, comes with it as well. I mean, at least uh, I, I think at the moment, archaeology puts the earliest coins at 600 BC. Uh, they're called Lydian Stator. Oh. And they were, I, th- I, I believe, from... Kind of, kind of the Hellenistic uh, civilizations of the Mediterranean. Okay, it seems yeah. to be where coin money comes from, 600 BC. So you know, we're talking, you, uh, you know, over uh, 2,500 years ago. Mm. Um, so we're this is this is something and and an issue that has uh, perplexed people for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I guess we can just get into it then, right? Should I we, guess so. Should we open our vault and take a look I at what's so. inside? I think so. Do you know, do they let you know the combination and not me? Um. Yeah, let me just let me just quickly go over yeah. there and uh, give this thing a real good twist. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Ooh. and then... Yeah, they should here. really gonna, grease those hinges. Yeah, it's a bit of... I haven't really been stretching, so let's just open that bad boy up right here. All right, we'll step inside. Ooh, look at all these piggy Ooh. banks. Did I ever tell you I I used to collect piggy banks? Did you? Re- I know you never told me that. <laughs> Which, now that I say it out loud, sounds like sounds like an anti-Semitic joke. <laughs> oh no! I but I guess I guess there were pigs. That's uh, wait. Is it, that a it, thing? It, is this a thing? No, just like just the the idea of the idea of a little Jewish boy collecting <laughs> piggy banks. Oh no. <laughs> oh my god i would be would be an, an investment banker one day <laughs> why why did you do this <laughs> oh my god it's i did not i know i have not done that i did not collect mm-hmm. piggy banks i had like two though i think mm-hmm. i do mm-hmm. my favorite my favorite way of storing coins though is to put them in other things and my favorite object of that is a big huge bottle that I don't think mm, ever, I, if it yeah. ever had liquor in it, I think it's hilarious. That's the way to do it, It's though. the size of my leg. It's huge. Yeah. Like it's, and then you just pour a bunch of coins in, and then one day, mm-hmm. I will go to the bank with all of those pennies and trade oh, yeah. it in just oh, to make I it used, somebody's I problem. Used, I used to roll all my pennies, and I remember being oh, always very yes. disappointed as to how much money it would actually I get know. me. I felt like I was saving up all my pennies, and then yeah. I'd walk out of the bank with $4. Oh, yeah, I feel that. I went to the shop right and uh with the machines and put that in uh (sighs) i wish i could go back to looking at sometimes Mm -hmm. as money as i did as a child but speaking of as we walk into our vault we have you know rolls of pennies and coins Mm -hmm. stocked up piggybacks too of course we also we have some uh some sticks which are actually uh the original stocks Oh, I didn't know we had these in here, and I'm the one that has a combination. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So do you know sort of the origin of the, even the word stock? I actually don't. So um, in England, actually, stock uh, comes from, like, Germanic Old English. It means uh, uh, basically a bow or a stick. Oh, okay. And a stock basically was... Uh, a a physical thing, a physical piece of wood that you had 
that was a marker of a stake that you owned in something as an investment. And the stock market was a place you could literally trade this stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, there were different periods where this became outlawed and banned. And, you know, people have always had very tumultuous relationships with their financial institutions as they kind of always have you know oh interesting like pawning has kind of been a was probably the first form of banking huh so like even pawn shops to this day are really in this tradition that's been going on for centuries but banking as we know it and coin money paper money all of that stuff is not necessarily new, but being the only way that we can exchange goods and services, that is a little more new. We had bartering for a good part of history, at least as an option. Right, right. Like, if you come over here, uh, yep. uh, here is a little leather pouch, and ah. inside is a florin. Are you familiar Ooh. at all with florins? I am a little bit, given the fact that mm-hmm. we, you know, lived in its original, um, in its origin yes. spot, but I think we can get into it and explain it a bit further for mm-hmm. those who don't. Yeah. Um, so a florin was a gold coin uh, that was minted sort of in the uh, late medieval, early Renaissance period uh, and used as a currency in Florence, Italy, among mm-hmm. other places in Europe. Uh, the, the significance of Florence, Italy, however, is that it was a banking center. In yes. addition to always being a textile town, Florence had... Uh, lenders and a banking system as did uh all of italy florence would have been more of the the jewel of tuscany you know right right when we think about this period we have to think about italy as separate countries they would all spoken different varying languages and dialects would have considered themselves separate countries so yes we can't think of the venetians like in league necessarily with the, uh, the Tuscans, uh, you know, all of these, uh, uh, at different points, all of these people are at war with each other. Yeah, Pisa and, and Florence literally all the time. And same with Siena. Yes, yes, yeah. All Which of are all city-states. Ci- it's city-states, yeah, quite literally. It, it is, it is. It is um, before an idea of consolidating um, things into a modern country. Yes, yes. Your, your nationalism would have been tied more to your city-state. Exactly. And Florence was was one of these. You know, Florence had, you know, uh, democracy to some extent. You know, you had people that could uh, basically uh, were in a lottery that could sit on boards and make decisions and govern the city. But, you know, in, in a lot of cases, this is a system that could become controlled by wealthy elites and if we're talking right. about wealthy elites in Florence, we have to talk about the Medici. We do, we do. They have literally put their signature everywhere. So yes. that is very if, important. If you have been to Florence, you're around every turn. Something yeah. is, there's either a monument to the Medicis, uh, something built by them. So it has their name on it. There's palaces. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. And the Medicis played a huge political uh role in florence as well uh, and and uh 
of I, I, not even Florence. I'm sorry, Europe. Yeah, they're all over. Yeah, the thing that's interesting to understand is all of so at this point, you know, pre-Protestant Reformation, the Europe is trying to figure out where uh, government stands in contrast to the church. Um, right. And the the Catholic Church, it's not really designated as the Catholic Church yet because there's not really another game in town other than um, East Orthodox. Right, right. So the... The, the church has declared usury as a sin, charging interest on, um, on, on a loan from the bank. Mm. So you cannot make money off of lend. You cannot make money off of lending money. And what Cosimo Medici, the patriarch and sort of the, the founder of this particular dynasty of the Medici's, um, what him and some other industrious bankers do is they find s- not necessarily just loopholes, but they find a mathematical way of getting around the idea of charging interest. Because really, in Europe and a lot of other places, really the only people allowed to charge interest would have been Jews. Hmm. And this is where a lot of anti-Semitism in Europe stems from. Because not only are the is it maintained that the Jews are the people that killed Jesus? Um, but it is also, you know, th- this, this association that like, I think in Venice Jews were, I, I I can't speak to the rest of Europe, but in a lot of places where Jews were even allowed to live, mm-hmm. they had to be uh, work in banking sometimes as doctors, sometimes as lawyers. But th- this is also just an outgrowth of the fact of, most of Europe is illiterate and you have a population of people where every man has to be able to read. Hmm. You know, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there are reasons behind these stereotypes, but they nonetheless are stereotypes. And this is, this is where the greedy banker Jew comes from. And, you know, even if you want to say, well, there still are a lot of Jews in banking, it goes back to this. People go, people tend to go into the, uh, the, the sectors that their parents were in. And yeah. that was even more true back then. You kind of had to go into the job your, your father did. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. So this, th- this is sort of where that comes from. Even if you want to think about like Jews in Hollywood, like they were the people doing that at the beginning you know, because they were kind of the only people that were in that, um, in a lot of those writing jobs and performance jobs from like Jewish camps and vaudeville and retreats Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like all of that stuff went into early Hollywood. That's why, you know, we're now like multiple generations into that. Interesting. It's it's all just this, this, this inherited, um, you know, d- doing the the job that your parents did and using your connections. Right. But this in particular, where the Medici's are not Jews. So what are, what are the Italians doing? And how did the Italians actually for a period become associated with banking? And right. this has to do with the North and South trade in Europe. 
that mm. um, there's a lot of financial centers in the north. Uh, there's London. There's multiple cities across Germany. There's a lot of wealth in the north of Europe, as there kind of always has been. Um, there's a lot of wealth in Italy as well, but Italy is the trade center. Italy, you yes. know, has the textile mills, but... You know, London has access to all the wool because the sheep are raised because because of the sheep raised in England, Ireland and Scotland. Right. 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 So there's always been this north south trade of raw materials and industry and wealth. And so what Cosimo Medici and other bankers around his time period did was they figured out a very clever way to get around the usury laws. Um, the laws were constantly changing to try and prevent this, but they kept figuring it out. And it actually has to do with exchange rates. Hmm. So let's say, Joe, you've got a, um, you have a, a ship full of, uh, textiles that you're going to, you want to ship up to, uh, the North. You want to send to Britain. Okay. On my way. Okay, you're on your way. All right, great, great. Um, you're you're full of your your Sardinian goods, uh, yep. your your sea silk, your sardines. Uh, nope. Uh, seafood. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. It's it's literally a running joke that people will be like, yeah, Sardinia. That's where sardines come from, and it's like, no, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I got my pecorino cheese. Yeah, we have yes, some yes, wine yes, yes. and olives. Gotcha. Okay. So we're sending that up. Now, currency exchange was uh. also illegal to charge a fee for. Mm. Um, you cannot, you know, the, uh, the, the English have their own monetary system, uh, but so do the Italians. The Italians sure. are, the, the Florentines are using florins. Uh, the English are, have pounds sterling. Right. Um, so when they go up, they send the ship up, the English are paying a certain amount of money for that thing. And then uh, the Florentines are spending a certain amount on that ship to go up there. But what they're banking on, quite literally, um, <laughs> is that currency will always be worth intrinsically more in its home country. Right. And that exchange rates can change sometimes. So what they were doing, the way they were making the money was when goods would travel, they had to think two or three trades ahead to make money on something. What they were doing was they were banking on the florins. They could trade for a certain price of something. Right. They're like, I'm going to spend this much florins to send this thing to England. Mm-hmm. And then in England, they're going to pay this much in that currency in about an equivalency. Now, mm. when they pay in that, it's worth technically less in their currency than it is in Florence and vice versa. Mm. And so they, when they made the second or third trade, that's when they made their money back with the value change that the currency itself, that those coins just were intrinsically worth more in their home countries and that they could just find this margin that they could make money on it. 
And they built an enormous empire off of this fact. Huh. Yeah. Wow, that's... It is incredibly convoluted. Yeah, I was like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. So basically, so so Cosimo de' Medici is like rocking up to whoever, you know, he needs to talk to in order to figure this out. It's just like, so I got a proposition for you. You're going to give us this many florins, and I'm going to give you this many florins, and we're going to send these boats up to England, you see what I mean? And you're going to think you got my godson here. And you're going to bring back the sterling pounds. So, so we're going to take them back here. And then when the yeah. exchange rates yeah. that were mentioned, that way, because this, this is how I talk in, in, you know, 14th century Italy. This is the way that they talk, you know. It's all in the back of the throat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in an English accent. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I was like, there's a bit here somewhere. <laughs> no, I love, I, love, I love this. I'm just enjoying the rare Joe impression. Yeah, I never get to do those on here anymore. <laughs> Oh, I don't do them as much. Um, but no, this is really, it's very interesting. I, I do, one, I'm going to think of Cosmo de Medici always having that type of American-Italian he accent prob- now. But but that's kind of his vibe. He does. He's got Godfather vibes. I'm telling yeah. you. it's it, I, I'm getting, me- this is the origins of the mafia right here. But uh, And honestly, it, is, it kind of is, but like in different ways. Yeah. But I do find that very interesting that this was essentially like working around the rules, which is kind of how like right. feudalism ended, if you really think about it. Like a lot well, of this stuff was yeah. like, they just figured out like, oh, we can make more money this way. And like we can do yeah. more and we can get more things that I like. And then other people can get things. And then it just sparks these incredible yeah. like, and I mean, I guess potentially. It technically marks a big downfall, but it's also just like right. at the time, it's really amazing, you know, yeah. that art's able to flourish because of this, mm-hmm. and that infrastructure is able to become better, and people can actually yeah. rise in, in classes, and it's not necessarily as like, you know, tied to serfdom, which I mean still exists at that time. It doesn't like go away. Yeah, and no, it's not I gonna mean, go away in Italy for a long time, but it's still Yeah, no, you know, I mean the the, Medi- the Medici owned slaves. I mean, not yeah. not in not in the sense of chattel slavery like we would have in the united states but right th- there were people that you could buy and sell human yeah. beings yeah not great yeah no no but that was it, it is also interesting that like on the one hand these are not the italians that we know and love today right right and yet there was still some attitude about them that i s- in reading about this in the book Medici Money by uh, Tim Parks, the thing that still strikes me is there is still something. There are the hints of the character that is to come. The the these very right. interestingly like quintessential ideas that like this this is going to form the the concept of the Italians for the rest of Europe and for the world. Right, the Italians were more than happy to do all of these shady business dealings. Yeah. On 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 the side and behind closed doors. But yeah, they always right. had this idea of decorum. Yeah. Got Tony Soprano up there in yes. the in the 1400s. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh but the Gabagool. The Gabagool. Yes. But <laughs> Like, because the Italians considered other Europeans to be so unkempt and that yeah. 
sure, they were trustworthy. You could trust the Germans. You could trust the English. But God, their decorum, their <laughs> their their sense of their sense of etiquette, their sense of um, court life yeah. was not up to their standards. And because, like, the Italians would go to war with each other a lot. But like, here's the thing to understand: a lot of times in these battles, nobody died. Yeah. Or or barely anybody died. Yeah, it was like they, fighting for the sake yeah. of fighting in yes. many cases. And like, I mean, yes. there, there were like brutal wars. Like it does happen, but not yes. like, but the fact that they're fighting all the time, like literally all the time, like a bickering Italian family, which should be mm-hmm. any indication about this goes. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like it, it is really interesting in that way. It's kind of like the Greeks in that sense, yes. like ancient Greeks and, you know, where it's not, mm-hmm. or even I guess when it's not unified, right? Like it's just bickering and fighting with city states for the sake of fighting or whatever land takeover. But then as soon as somebody else comes in, Oh yeah, hold on. And then everybody kind of works together. I mean, yeah, I don't think that happens as much with, you know, Italy, but Mm -hmm. also because they have such an advantage of being, you know, trade routes. They're they're the peninsula sticks out right before they were launching for the crusades and so on. You know, they made all their money through that, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. because it's interesting, like they made a lot of their money too. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but if I remember hearing was that it was through like, you know, trading with after the Crusades and even during because you need yeah. people were taking um, uh, passage from like Messina, which I think I think mm-hmm. it was Messina in Sicily and then just jumping mm-hmm. over to the, the Holy Land, so to speak, to right. die yeah. in the desert. But like, yeah. you know, I just think that's as just so do. interesting as you do. Right. You go in, you yeah. know, your full suit of armor because that makes total sense. But um, mm-hmm. no, but I, I just find that very fascinating that there is this like mafioso kind of attitude then everybody's well, in ropes and but stuff. also also the idea of collaboration between all yes, of these yes. powers because yes florence would sometimes be at odds with the papal states yeah. but also the pope borrowed a lot of money from the medici <laughs> that's when cosimo is then like so you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding to ask me for a loan for your church Okay. Cosimo, it's me, the Pope. Oh my God! <laughs> the Pope. Insert Pope name here that I don't remember. Thank you for coming to my daughter's wedding. Please take a seat. Have some. Have some vino on the house. Oh, grazie. <laughs> what do we got? We, we got that. We got this. We got this. Uh, the guy from England here. Who are you? Why you got this type of accent? I'm losing my Italian American accent that I don't have. <laughs> Hello, Cosimo. Who, who this guy? Who's this? This this? Uh, what are you? What are you funny guy? Who are you? I'm changing <laughs> accents. It's over. I yeah, lost yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. So, why banks? Why Why money? And we, we kind of get into the history of money here and why people liked having uh, banks in different cities. You know, right. the, the, the Italians could send agents to have a, uh, 
have a bank, a branch of their bank in different cities, uh, even mm, cities yeah. they were at odds with, even cities in other countries. And it is, you know, in part, not only do the the trade that Italy has, you know, got this um, uh, building this fortune off of, but uh, people traveling across Europe don't want to travel yes. with all of their treasure on them. Which makes so sense. If you have, this is the bizarre thing about the Middle Ages. You know, we want to think about, you know, lots of people are illiterate. There's plagues. There's all of these issues. And there's, you know, our in part inaccurate idea of a more savage life. But, you know, yeah. we, have to be, we have to be honest. This is the Dark Ages in a lot of sense. Yeah. But people had ch- checks. Yeah. Like, yeah. you write a check. <laughs> you know and 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 then travel to florence and cash a check Ugh. you know Amazing. uh from from a tell you know you could go across europe and there were tellers this is it's it's interesting that all of this modern stuff is showing up yeah so with currency currency offers you a couple of unique opportunities you know when you you know previously like wealth was land and crops and livestock i mean yes. so much of human society is built off of uh the herding of hoofed mammals you know yeah down, oh yeah down to our, our monetary so many of our monetary systems even like a lot of our phrases are in part derived from that capitalism from caput you know heads of cattle right right um, uh and and so much of our social hierarchy even is yes, you know yes. who controls the food who controls the crops and the cattle right but if that is your wealth then there are a lot of opportunities for your wealth to suddenly disappear yes exactly so you want like almost a placeholder for your wealth and you know something that's not going to die if you have a dry year something that you know can't just wander away can't suddenly uh you you something personal that you can carry with you something that's not readily available to just kind of anyone and in a lot of ways that was sort of the pro the issue that currency was there to solve and in that late medieval period in the 15 and 1600s currency kind of came in and was like hey here's something we don't have to barter um (laughs) yeah you know, livestock for value, we, uh, and, and, you know, trade stuff like that, we can have a numerical system that we can assign to things. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and we can base it off precious metals, which, you know, you would have to actively work very hard to refine. And mm. th- this, this sort of answered that question. Now where it immediately sort of threw people into a, a, a philosophical conundrum was now you can assign numbers to things right. which means you can compare things you can say this number is bigger than that but each of those individual digits is equal you know yeah yes you have five of something and i have one of that thing but your five is still made up of five of my one things so right they were very disturbed by the idea that, huh, our king or someone in a very important position yeah. has money. 
Right. And the prostitute on the street, the sex worker, has money. The The idea was very disturbing that yeah. a lower class person could accumulate an equivalency to things that people in the upper classes had. Interesting. Yeah. Upper upper class. This is why currency actually even stayed only within the upper classes for a long time, because this opens up the ability. This concept opens up the idea that my labor is worth a numerical value. Right. And that I can work and use my own ingenuity to to reach some level of esteem you know yes yeah exactly you know th- this this has other connotations later um right b- but but at this moment this is a very liberating idea that it's not just that you work on the land and you're really a part of someone else's realm it is no i uh i have a way of getting paid yeah. And so so even Florins for a time could not even be used by the lower classes. Mm. The Florin was the gold coin. It was the um the most valuable, but they even kind of had their own hang-ups about ever exchanging a Florin for an equivalent amount of like silver. Like huh. imagine if you got four quarters. Right. But a dollar like wouldn't have necessarily have been kosher for you to trade that for. Oh wow. Like you're a poor person. You're not one of the richies. You're not allowed to have dollars. Interesting. So this is this is sort of the uh the problems that they're running into. The other philosophical issue that they're in conflict with now is the idea of usury and the idea of interest. It's not just right. because, you know, they have a religious obligation to reject usury just by the nature of Christianity, um, in theory. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they, the people at the time did not like the idea that this artificial thing could reproduce and replicate itself in a way that resembled living things, right? Yes, yeah. You know, your livestock can reproduce and multiply. Your family can reproduce and multiply. Your crops can reproduce and multiply. It, the Money doing this was a radical, radical humanist idea. This is why the Medici's were so invested in humanist art. This is why they were the patrons of so many of the the Renaissance masters, particularly the Florentine masters, is they were devout Christians, but they were humanists. And this was a uh, this was the secular world creeping into and other what had otherwise been a strictly religious world for centuries. Yeah. And, and that was the existential threat <laughs> that coinage money so it, yeah. posed to all of this. Because, like, coins had been in, used for, you know, at that point for over a thousand years. Yeah. Um, the, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, they're... actually, almost 2000 at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it. the Romans had used it. The Greeks had used it. Uh, plenty of places outside of Europe had used it. But the the this this idea entering our modern society and then the later idea that 
we're not even really going to have any other way of doing this. There's not really going yeah. to be the the straight up bartering there had always existed. Yeah, that was a a, a disturbance. Yeah, and it and it paves the way for what is to come, which I think we all mm-hmm. kind of know. And I think that that's really it's really interesting hearing it in this way, though. And it does sound like that this starts to this opens up the economies mm-hmm. or individual economies as well as then global ones later on in Europe right. to really and that take it's, hold. It, and that it was not necessarily again. It is very easy for us to write off a lot of this stuff as you know this is the downfall of society, but sure, we sure, have to but... kind of also look at sort of the the liberation of a lot of these ideas. Um, like even something like price tags. Uh-huh. Price tags were virtually unheard of until the Quakers um, oh, in, in America. And the Quakers, you know, for a good long time, were at the front of a lot of progressive policies in the U.S., even though they were themselves devout Christians. Sure. They did not like the idea that of haggling because it was like, what? So you're going to charge one guy this much and then you're going to charge this other guy a different amount. That seems unfair. Uh, the, they, they had that kind of objection to us. They're like, you know what? Price tags, everybody pays the same price. And fair enough, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's a, that's kind of a, that does feel like a, a step in the correct direction civilization wise. I mean, yeah, yeah. I you know, I think it, it helps in a sense yeah. of setting. I'm glad I don't have to argue when I go to the I can't, grocery store. I would never get anything. I would never. I would always be paying <laughs> over what I had to because I would get like scammed. And in fact, in Italy, you still have to watch for that because yes. certain places will overcharge you. Yes. Um, so it never yes. really does end. But I, mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I mean, this has really been interesting to look at in this way in, in our vault. And I wanted to take this time to to kind of tangent to another section in in europe that we talked about because i feel like it parallels really well with what we're talking about which if we go over here you're going to see this collection of rugs that are all stacked Mm -hmm, up next mm -hmm. to this loom as well as uh oh i guess there's a cow in here um i hope that's been fed yeah okay yeah we have handlers in here there's some entrances it's fine you know we have we we of course have our people on it anyway um but I am. This is part of the currency system of Iceland, which I think we have talked about here on the Uncanny County Museum in regards to Vinland, as well as um, our our exhibition on the Vikings. But I was I wanted to take this time to to talk about their system of you know of currency in a place that's pretty isolated from the world, even though they have some trade going on. It's you know. Hashtag isolated. Oh, there it is. You should have gave, see, go back in time, give that to them. They probably have no mm. idea what you were saying. Old <laughs> Norse, but still. So anyway, so basically. But, what the fuck are you talking about? Twitter? Sure, that's definitely what they sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, it, it, so what's interesting about this, though, for me is if, um, you know, when we were talking about the idea of like, of people being uncomfortable with, like you were saying, like, you know, an artificial object reproducing or even, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, coinage being the way to trade. In Iceland, 
during let's say the it's founding to then so we're going to target around the like 1100s for the sake of just continuity into maybe the 1400s until it has some problems but basically the idea behind their currency wasn't about coins it was in um livestock still as well as rugs and so Mm. you know with this because they you know it was really difficult to get coins to an island in the middle of the Atlantic up north. And it wouldn't have right. worked because people are surviving off of the land and they're surviving off of the lives that they have. So it wouldn't even be valuable. Silver, mm-hmm. you know, metals, precious metals, they are still valued. They're still worth a lot. It's just a different mm-hmm. value system. But the one that we're talking right. about would be more for, you know, buying up land, trading, and so on. And so... Well, it, it is. it is interesting if you go to different places in the world, there's a... You know, we're we're living in a in at least a country in a society where material is fairly cheap, but labor is expensive. Yes. And, you know, if you go somewhere like Africa. Right. Where, you know, labor can be cheap to the point that it's a human rights violation in some places. Yeah. Uh, like it, it, I, I specifically in like kind of Central Africa, um, you know, and, and uh like we're all familiar with blood diamonds right but you know like one of my geology professors once pointed out to us you know we've got like diamonds here in north america they're just not worth it to mine for them because we do not have basically a slave labor force to extract them Mm. it there's if you go to different places, the material availability, sometimes it, it, it depends where you are putting your value. Yeah. You know, for, for all of this stuff. So location does affect, uh, currency in a lot of these ways as, yeah. as i guess we're seeing with iceland well yeah and also because like no one's going to be traveling there like unlike right. in, you know medieval europe you have people moving around going to the holy yeah, sites yeah, yeah. you know here it's like you're traveling from the mainland and that's about it like and it's or wherever other right. trading ports you're going so like they borrow their system from the scandinavian countries like specifically norway which was to put their value to a cow and specifically mm. It's called their unit of measurement for their value was called a hildi, and I'm I, I might mm. be pronouncing this wrong, but uh, I apologize to any hey, Icelandic hey. visitors. Um, but basically, what this meant was that it was it was valued to cattle, and essentially, it the standard measure was a cow of three to ten winters, about medium size, with less than three calves without blemishes at all, horned, and still milking. It had to fit that category. And so if it fits this category... I think I saw somebody on Tinder with that profile. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Still milking. Oh, God. (laughs) Hashtag dairy farmers. So if it's... (laughs) You don't have to be lonely at (laughs) farmersonly.com. Oh, my God. So if if it fits this category, this is when one, you know, unit, this is the monetary value assigned. And essentially everything else is then based on this. So basically from like the, the in a loan standpoint and also how value could be assigned and paid in this way, certain other livestock were then valued up against it. So like, for example, a sterile cow was worth mm-hmm. two thirds of a heel day. 
and mm. a horse of medium sized aged four to ten years was worth one. So it was an equal or equivalent exchange. Okay. Twelve one year old rams or six ewes were worth one uh, ULD, and so mm-hmm. on. So basically, mm-hmm. like different livestock would be attached to this, and it was a way of um, of of yeah, creating that value. But this, you, you've got you've got a standardization. But the thing that I'm fascinated by is that. Your holiday has to be a specific age, which means you have only yeah. this brief window yes. where you have this yeah. exchange rate. Exactly. And these are like big purchases. Like this would be for mm-hmm. like in trading and stuff that's deemed equally valuable. And um, and I mean, also we probably, you know, slave trade's still going on in, in Norse countries as well as, you know, medieval Europe. So I'm sure that functions right. into here as well since all transparency. Um, mm-hmm. But... You know, I, I, I do kind of wonder in that curiosity in a country that has a lot of harsh winters and not a lot mm-hmm. of time for grazing how that works. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I do find that kind of curious. But one of the things I was yeah. really interested in was because this is like a currency that's really going to only be worth it for landowners, people that were owning land, had a portion carved out and could actually afford that. How then yeah. would just regular people be able to then afford and trade as well. And this brings us into the category of the rug, which mm. was because wool is, yeah. you know, um, sheep are basically the lifeblood of Iceland in this time. You know, it makes a lot of sense because they can keep themselves warm during the winter and then you can, you know, weave clothing out of it and it's a renewable resource in that sense. Um, basically, what they were doing was they formed a currency out of these rugs and it was titled or called a wadmont. I'm pretty sure that's mm. how it's pronounced, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, and basically, there's multiple types of these. And so it was woolen cloth that was, you know, created in this way. And basically, it was ranging from brown to brown that was striped or plain white, and which brown would be the most valuable and then white the least. And so from this, it was an easily accessible resource because one people can make it so that Mm -hmm. creates an interesting you know labor concept here but it was also able to be able to you know you could pay your taxes in this you could pay for goods using these you know you could appease your feudal landlords and so on but also you could still technically trade with the higher value system of the hildi so you know 120 Mm. l's of wadmul would equal one hildi so you could That's technically make all of these and then trade for that right, to get yeah. there. So what, I mean, obviously if you're trading like, you know, 20 heel dip for like a ship or something, right. it's going to take you a lot of wool. But oh, you yeah. Could, but you could do it. So well, I think that's, that that's, that's really interesting. That's the interesting thing about it. Because like, like you said, Iceland's not a particularly large place. Right. This, this would, it's interesting how this is like theoretically attainable, but at the end of the day, not everybody is going to right, have right. these things i mean it's yes. uh it, it's interesting to then think about how your yeah your your whole trade system is built off of uh a thing that only a certain percentage of the population has i mean yeah w- what i'm even curious about like even comparing this to the florin is i feel like value back then was such a different concept than it yes. is to us now like I don't even like even though there's like a monetary exchange rate you could say to some of these things like uh-huh. just because of the way labor and material was priced differently back then it was something like you know 
a hundred florins could build you um, a respectable palace. Huh. But it still, like, costs tens of florins to, like, buy a mule or a slave. And you're like, does that equate? Do, yeah. Do ten mules equal a palace? Right. Like, the, it, it's it, it's hard to like you know you think about thinking now in terms of this you're like okay well if i suddenly i have enough rugs i yeah. can i can get this cow like if like it, it, even like trying to imagine trying to imagine like you've got a bunch of items in the packaging from dollar tree that are all theoretically worth exactly one dollar <laughs> and then like imagine stacking um you know uh, 6,000 plastic toy dinosaurs from the Dollar Tree next to uh, a used Rolex watch. And right. you're like, I, I, these things are equivalent in value. Yeah, that's the kind of crazy part. Because clearly they're not, but they also yeah. are by this logic. So it's it's yes. really, it's kind of bizarre. But also, yes. I think that's also because we have we're using our own, you know, perspective now where currency and value and also the economy means something very i don't know why i said the economy i think i'm gonna do that every time now the economy but anyway um it means something different did you finish reading about the economy and the economist (laughs) times new roman font that's how i'm speaking (laughs) from now on (laughs) but it is it is interesting how we you know look at these things now comic sans oh (laughs) <laughs> that's my comic stance voice. but yes it is interesting how we look at these things <laughs> yeah i mean like i i just think like i i it's weird like i still haven't wrapped my head around this and like mm-hmm. i think that's partially why it might be a bit of like a mixed bag of how i'm explaining it but it is kind of wild like even the idea of a cow being mm-hmm. worth like the price of a car Mm-hmm. is pretty crazy to me not saying it is i don't know in terms of how that would add up an old value but just like livestock was so expensive and it I was mean, worth y- so cattle, much cattle is still worth a lot you yeah know? yeah absolutely we, we want to look down on a lot of farmers that do some you know not environmentally great stuff to like protect their cattle you know if it's killing wolves or right you know uh you know usurping wilderness for ranch land but it's like you know every time you drive by one of those you gotta look at you know one of those cattle and think like that is thousands of dollars on four legs yeah it's insane i mean it makes sense and again Mm -hmm. historically it makes sense i just find that really fascinating because in a world where we have material items everywhere and everything is worth something it's Mm -hmm. like you know, the fact that a cow can be worth the same as a watch, hypothetically, if it's an expensive yeah, watch, of course. Yeah, no, it's... Or, you know it, what it, I mean? It, it, to- it totally is. I mean, thinking about, like... I mean, to, to go back to the watch, even, like, staring at, like, a, you know, a middle-quality Swiss watch that has a mechanical movement, you know, you could be looking at about, you know fifteen hundred dollars right but you could also buy a phone a, a nice phone for that and the phone does a heck of a lot more than, <laughs> than just the watch yeah 
And, that is true. But, but but there but there is a certain amount of engineering and labor that goes into building a mechanical watch that is not as mechanized as building a phone. So you're it's it is confusing because you're also then paying for the luxury of the watch, you're paying for the brand, you're paying for the marketing and the design, but you are with phones too, you know. Yeah, yeah. You would you I would mean... you would think you'd think if God, if a if if a Swiss watch costs two grand, God, what must a tiny computer that fits in your pocket cost? Yeah. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned this too. Like I right now I'm reading The Syntax of Objects by Tim McRite, which has been mm-hmm. really great so far. And he mentioned this yeah. thing in a passage that people really enjoy handmade objects over mechanized ones because we can tell and I'm, and I'm kind of butchering this in my in mm-hmm. my paraphrasing but we can tell that something's been factory made that it's been reproduced mm-hmm. massively right mm-hmm. and i often wonder that in terms of even like a value too right like so you know um and, and in the book too he goes on to explain like why e- even like the use of a hammer and something feels so mm-hmm. comfortable in your hands because it's been made mm-hmm. to fit. But anyway, in regards to this and the watch metaphor too, I think of it like with cameras because I've also just been looking at cameras. Right. But right. like, think of like a Leica camera or a mm-hmm. Hasselblad that are like mm-hmm. upwards of five thousand dollars, and that's a starting mm-hmm. point. Okay. Yeah. Then they get to like you know tens of thousands. It's insane. Right. But each one, and I'll use the Hasselblad more specifically because I know more about it, is it's handmade and it's made in a lab yeah. and it's carefully created and everything's crafted and there's only a few of them made every year because it's such a right. you know, rare item. And I think about that and you're like, okay, this thing takes pictures. That's what this does. But it's, <laughs> but it's more than that, yeah. right? Like when it's yes. handmade, yes. it's more than just the thing it does. It's like if I was to buy a hammer at Walmart versus a hammer that was made by a blacksmith who used a specific wood and a specific iron, yes. let's say, yes. as a as yes. a metal to forge it for me custom. There's a difference in that. And there's a different value mm-hmm. I think assigned. And maybe this brings us back to the fe- you know, somebody selling their knives at the festivals, right? At at a yeah. at a market where Yes, it is a knife, and I can go to a store, and I could buy a mass-produced knife of cheap metal that will cost me a fraction of what this person, you know, sweating away at an anvil is going to charge me. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. there's something really special and, you know, personal Mm -hmm. that that object is being passed down through this, and there's a value assigned. I know I might be getting off a little bit. But there there is a thing that... there, There is something to objects being made with purpose and intent that makes us more mindful of them. Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a slippery slope. You could wind up in a very, very materialistic place. But as you watch the ebb and flow of people trying to figure out like is minimalism or maximalism, the proper, the proper aesthetic of, uh, you know, the, the working class, yeah, you can find so much virtue in objects, in their yes. intent, in their design. Uh, there, there is something to it. It's not everything in life. I think. No, no, no. It there's there's so many other uh, things that you can't put numbers on, and you know, it's it's the whole, it's the whole problem with the phrase "money can't buy happiness." You know. Um, yeah, we yeah. Live in a world where 
you can't say that to the people that are starving and legitimately need money. Yeah, like this money will obviously that, fix those they, problems. They need, they need this thing that we invented to help people. And we we invented it and there's and and people are struggling because not because they have anything else wrong with them other than they don't have enough of this stuff yeah yeah and exactly when, when you put it like that the whole thing seems insane yeah i mean it kind of is and, it kind of is well yeah because like you don't want to like sound like joe rogan and be like what like is money you know and you yeah, sound yeah. fake deep on maine yeah <laughs> But like one of the one of the things people make a big bugaboo about in the states is that we took our money off the gold standard, and there's been a million conspiracy theories about this. But like, when when you look at like, do you know how we kind of got out of the Great Depression? I mean, besides the war, not really. Like, not the specific economic right, answers. Right. Well, yes, the the manufacturing and the war and you know all those people getting college educations and you know yeah all all of the social programs and everything that were put in place post war uh you know fdr's uh, policies all of that stuff helped but one crucial thing that um fdr had to do was basically overnight had to make owning because historically what had always happened was u.s currency was basically a promissory note of gold that you could go into a bank exchange your note your your dollar Mm -hmm. and could get the equivalent amount of gold and the exchange rate of gold had been set by the government you know this is right you know post gold rush um but that was always what the value was meant to stand in for Mm, okay so fdr has this idea and you can call it crafty and shady and like point out like what a slimeball politician move this is but it worked and what he did was he made it illegal to own gold after a certain amount of weight so you could still have a little bit of it if you were like making jewelry or something but Uh He set a weight of gold and said, it is illegal to hold more than this much gold. The government has to have it. So he mm. offered a buyback period and people could go in and they gave the banks, they printed a bunch of money uh, and they went to the banks and they traded in their gold uh, in exchange for cash. Now you might think, well, wait, Franklin, doesn't this immediately cause a problem with inflation? Go ahead and ask. Does does it? Does it cause a problem with inflation, Mr. FDR? Well, Joe, <laughs> not if the government can set the price of gold. Oh. So you give you give me a piece of your gold. It's worth one dollar, yes? I yeah. So the company's or sorry, not the company. <laughs> so <laughs> the country is broke, right? It's the Great Depression. Uh-huh. Um, people don't trust banks, so they pull all their money out of banks, which actually makes the problem worse. Right. So I force them to give me the gold. And I say that much gold is worth a dollar, um, mm-hmm. which had always been true. So you give me your gold. I give you a dollar. Well, 
since we are the government and we now have all the gold in the country, we're going to say gold is worth $3 for the amount that you just paid me one. Oh. And now suddenly we got money in the bank. We got money in the treasury. This is the beginning of Fort Knox. This is part of how FDR was able to get any money injected back into the government and therefore the economy was he had to up the value of gold so that, you know, that money that you had in your pocket still technically represented an amount of money in the U.S. Treasury. But now that gold is worth more Mm. than what you have in your pocket. And that is in part how we started the road to get out of the depression. That's kind of crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, super shady. doesn't surprise me, but definitely shady. But it's like, oh, my God, that's pretty insane. I I mean, it is. It is. But again, it's this it's this whole concept of like it exists. It is a we have attached a value to an object and it exists and therefore it is worth more. And now we have more money. And it's like. That makes mm-hmm. sense, but I, this is the conversation at the dinner table when your parents are arguing. It's like, I don't really know what's going on, but sure, yes, right? Like, yes. you know, I agree, and you don't know yes. what's happening. But it, but it sounds, it, it is very confusing, and partially I'm also confused. This is a topic that confuses right. me, but I'm also really yes. happy we get to talk about it because I, I, I do think it's important, and I think it's better to, you know, you don't want to fall into the Joe Rogan trap of, you know, you know, money, money is just a concept. What is it? What is, you, you, we don't need the money, shallow money philosophical is, questions. You, you know what? A, a horse to wormer might. might <laughs> Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're literally, you know, it's like, it's like, it's just very fascinating that it is something that has existed through pretty much all of human history. I mean, some sort of thing att- with value attached to it to buy or trade with others and it is also what has propelled us as you know civilizations as means of connection and now in a globalized world and i mean yes there is a lot of negative consequences that come with this i don't think it's that straightforward personally it's nuanced Mm -hmm. i don't think it's like i don't know if you you know you can say like you know money or greed because greed i think is bad greed is the root of all evil that is that is a pretty solid saying Mm -hmm. i think so but at the same time it's like there is some pretty important things that happen because of this you know and some pretty terror and some pretty terrible ones but i think being able to approach this as a like fascination with the ideas of how currencies are created where they come from how we assign value to things it's an Mm -hmm. important conversation to have even when then discussing how we value things around us and what we value as objects i definitely Mm -hmm. think we're gonna have to talk about minimalism and ornament and crime one time because i've learned Mm -hmm. that my Mm -hmm. life's a lie and minimalism sucks so i can't wait to yell about it because i i kind of agree and i kind of don't um Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to do that so stay tuned i guess and come back i mean i am I'm I'm at this point where I'm discovering I never want to have one philosophy about anything. Yeah, why would you? I mean, it's like, right? Because I, I, think, I think you need multiple philosophies that apply at different times, and you need to throw the idea of being a hypocrite out the window, because yeah. some, I don't, I don't 
I don't necessarily like a lot of minimalist stuff, but like right. I don't need a maximalist bathroom. No, and know? I don't want clutter. And I don't yes. need I don't need trash I, in my house. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Or I, th- junk. This is, this is another conversation I guess we'll have another day. But yeah, there as with a lot of these things, money is this useful tool. And, you know, there's a bit of buzz right now. Who knows if it actually is a viable option? But, you know, there's even people talking about like uh, modern monetary theory and like that this could potentially be a tool that works for us again. You know, yeah. that this is this is something that we, we can have and can help people can, you know, it, it's not that we shouldn't value things. Yeah. Um, but it but it is this greed. It is these people that find the loopholes in a in in a system and that inadvertently becomes this positive feedback loop of uh repression yeah exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean because the medici went from you know starting some banks to ruling florence you know yeah florence yeah. ceased being a democracy uh basically until the unification of Italy pretty much yeah because of because of Cosimo Medici in some small part yeah in, in no small part Th- this this stuff happens in history yeah you know exactly and so I do think it is a yeah it's it's both a pro and a con at the same time yeah, and I, it's... money money is money is a great invention um yeah yeah. And it has it has that potential, you know, for for good and bad. It's uh... yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's a good way to sum that up without consistently going through all of the reasons <laughs> why it's good and bad. Because right, I'm sure we right. could talk about it forever. Of you yeah, know... well, because I mean, we we talked we talked about coins, but also the rugs are equally interesting to me. Um, yeah, as well. It also you know because a lot of these things have a level of craftsmanship and design to them that's even something you can appreciate. You know, there's there's evidence of care and thoughtfulness. Exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And again, it's that way that value is attached to these items versus like a minted coin or, well, I guess at that time that still would have been more handmade too, but like more like, Mm -hmm. you know, the printed currency that we have now or have had it's like it's just interesting in that in that difference but i do think they they function different than each other but at the end mm-hmm. of the day it is still a way of buying and trading and gaining things but i imagine that like like i just imagine if somebody from iceland at the in the 1100s was in our you know environment today they'd probably freak out you know if you or if you traveled <laughs> back in time and said i will buy that you know sheep from you for like a hundred dollars they'd be like why are, what is that what? like it's worthless obviously you know because there's no for, for many reasons it's worthless but i do think that even like you were saying with you know people being disgusted at the idea that money could reproduce or that like somebody could then have the equivalent currency as the king's is kind of crazy and and i do think that that's a really interesting thing to think about but mm-hmm. um but I think we have thought about it a lot in this, and we've probably yes. been talking about this for a while. Um, <laughs> and hopefully this all makes some sense, I think. I, I I think it makes about as much sense as money does. 
Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's just making it up as they go along, to be honest. Mm. But uh, and and when we were talking about making sense, we meant with a sense with a C. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And go full circle, like like with coins. <laughs> Um, oh sometimes sometimes they have holes in the middle of them um you know oh there you well I, 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 did, did i ever tell you i know this much about coins <laughs> you did you did not but uh <laughs> anyway well thank you so much for coming by the uncanny county museum today what a wild ride this discussion yeah. has been um <laughs> what do we got going on what's going on with uh uh you over there cosimo medici <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, my new alter alias. Um, or all, yeah, right? That makes sense. Um, uh, well, there is a current exhibition that I am in that is online and will be till October 15th with the Aerogram Sensor, uh, and it is called the Artist Residency Project. That's the title of the exhibition. You can check that out at aerogram.org, and it will be under the Artist Residency Project exhibition. So, Feel free to go and watch uh, some of my well, one of my videos as well as some photographs, as well as other my um, the other artists at residence and friends of mine who have amazing artworks in there as well. Uh, how about you, Zan? What you got going on? Um, I'm currently in the uh, Then and Now show in Saint Petersburg. Uh, it's got some of my work from undergrad alongside some of my work uh, from my uh, master's program. Also going to be uh, in the Critters show at the Mize Gallery, M-I-Z-E, also in St. Petersburg. Uh, That is all I have to announce for right now. Um, Nice, nice. I should have another big thing to announce next time. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, yeah. If you want to find the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us uh, with suggestions, uh, with corrections, um, clarifications, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, We love hearing from people. It's really cool to hear from our audience. Yes. Thank you again to our uh, guests from the uh, previous uh, couple of weeks, uh, Hillary McLean and Bradley Strzok. Hopefully I have some uh, more cool people on in the not-so-distant future. Ooh, if you want to find me, I am at Xanasaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.